When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, all over the globe, the world, intergalactic, or down the street, wherever you happen to be while listening to this podcast voice, this is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team. And I know you know how to count the two, and half of that is me. The other half representing this wonderful podcast team, he is the person who actually did the character design for the original Beetlejuice, Mr. Brandon Pham. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of Doodling Away. With my guest speaker, <laughs> uh, Zach Rich. How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing well, good. Man. Glad you so, glad you joined us. Yes. Oh, of course. Thank you for the invitation. Of course. So uh, this is the part of the podcast where we ask our guests, such as yourself, a little bit about your background, where you are, where you're heading, just to give our uh, a little context to our listeners out there. All right. So. Uh, I am the managing partner, also the founding partner of a law firm down here in South Florida called Press Start Legal. Uh, We created the firm to service the interactive entertainment industry. So that's everything from your video game developers, your publishers, all the way to your uh, online content creators, your YouTubers, your Twitch streamers, everyone that would fit into that mold of interactive entertainment. Um, You know, it, it used to just be video games, but now... Uh, we're kind of expanding that genre to any form that's, you know, you can interact with people. And we, we like to think that streaming really falls in that and same with YouTube because you have a direct correlation as a viewer with what you're watching on screen. Oh, and I have to give this caveat. So everything here is my opinion. I have not given out legal advice to anybody. None of you are my clients, so you're not protected against attorney-client privilege. Uh, if you have a particular question about your state's law, I suggest reach out to your state, a local attorney in your state. If it's about federal law or anything we've talked about, any of the issues we touched, you can reach out to us. We take clients throughout the country. We even have international clients who need help with U.S. law. Uh, we do it all. Uh, our, our major fields are copyrights, trademarks. Uh, we have people that we work with that handle patents. So if you have a patent question, we can get it answered. Uh, Advertising, marketing law, privacy law, contracts, business development and startups, um, startup technology. We 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 do it all. So we're if you have a question, come to us. If we can't answer it, we'll find the answer for you. Oh, how long you guys been in business? So we launched early 2018 uh, and it was been a slow start, but I would say about uh, October of last year, things really started to pick up and and now everything has just been taken off. That's awesome. awesome. Congrats on that. Seriously. Yeah. I, if there was ever an industry, this would be it that needs <laughs> lawyers and legal advice uh, because uh, more than ever, I think in the last five years, we've all seen how indie developers are just kind of just uh, coming out and uh, everywhere. And there's a lot of people involved and uh, like myself included, it's just a lot of things to kind of balance. And what would you say the biggest misconception when it comes to contractual agreements and IP ownership uh, when it comes to Indian interactive entertainment? So, okay. Somewhat of a loaded question. So let me kind of take it in two parts. (laughs) So the, the contractual part, and one of the things I see the most, and it's it's kind of it's a funny story, but it's also kind of sad at the same time when you when you look at it from a legal perspective, is that because the barrier to entry into creating video games has become down so low that anybody with a computer can a computer and an idea and you can design a great mobile game. Um People don't think of the legal side of things. So they think emailing back and forth with someone who's going to do the graphic design for them or maybe writing the score, that's their contract. Mm-hmm. And what they don't understand is, yeah, sure. You know, Brandon, you can, I can email and uh, let's say you want me to design your logo and I agree on a price and everything's peachy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great, but no rights were transferred to you. So 
yeah, you paid me for a logo, but I still own the rights as a creator to all of that. Mm. And so this particular developer had spent a lot of money on sounds, on new artwork, on everything. And when it came time to publish, the publisher's like, oh, let me see all the rights to this. Let me see all your agreements. He goes, what agreements? Oh, man. So he's like, we have emails, right? That's that's enough. Um, So that's that would be sort of the scariest part of really both aspects of the contractual side of things. Emails are not contracts. And then the IP thing is you want to make sure that these sort of transfers are inside these agreements that you're signing with people because if you're paying someone two, three, four, ten thousand dollars to design something for you, create something for you, you want to make sure you have those rights. I actually want to jump in. I'm going to ask a couple of questions on behalf of the audience, not myself. Obviously, I'm (laughs) quite wise, very intelligent. Um, If you watch any sort of television or, you know, stay involved in popular culture and you see like law, you know, come into play in shows, movies, television, whatsoever, there's certain things that you may hear or be told or just old wives tales in regards to contract law. Uh, Maybe we can settle one or two of them uh, on this podcast. For example, um, if I mail something to myself and it has a stamp and a post date, does that count as like valid proof that I was the original creator or I have copywritten something? Because uh, I've heard that one many times. Like, oh, just mail it to yourself and then you're good. So technically, no, like mailing to yourself does absolutely nothing to to be the originator, to have something that is copyrightable. Mm-hmm. All it takes is for you to take that original artistic expression that are, it has to be unique and put it into a fixed medium. So if you have an idea of a logo, as soon as you draw it on a piece of paper or design it in Photoshop, or if you're writing code, as soon as you put that code in a word document, you have a fixed medium and that's what gives you those rights. Mailing it to yourself is just a waste of paper and a stamp. Mm-hmm. Um, Second quick question, then. Uh, I've heard this one before. You don't necessarily have to own a copyright or trademark so long as you've applied for it first. Is that, and there's mm. legal ground that. So, you, yes and no. So, it's a gray area. Okay. So, there's, let me unpack them both. A copyright you get as soon as you complete those two things we just talked about. So as soon as you have a unique artistic expression and you put it on a fixed medium, you have a copyright. You don't have a registered copyright. You can't go Mm -hmm. sue somebody for infringement, but you have something. Mm -hmm. And then you can then take that something and register it to get that legal protection. Okay. Same aspect to a trademark. If you guys had a business and uh, let's use the name of the podcast, for example, and you never filed a trademark, but you mm-hmm. you're known out in the community, you're known around the world that this is you, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're game dev unchained. And having that is what's called a common law copyright. I cannot in Florida go start the exact same podcast and the exact same thing. And you oh, guys not God. have a legal remedy against me. <laughs> One you guys hear that? <laughs> Three That's... years of copyright, right? Now. <laughs> what I just heard. <laughs> Thank you. So now much. there's a catch. Yeah, you're not going to get certain damages against me mm-hmm. as you would if you had a registered trademark. Mm-hmm. Um, but these things are kind of in place because sometimes something can't be trademarked. It's either. Uh, too descriptive. There's nothing unique about it. Uh, it's the name of a place, things like that. Um, so you you need to have something to protect you. And that's why a lot of times you'll see things that have the little TM, but not really the, the R in the circle. Mm. The R in the circle is the one that you like, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's like, that's the money that's right the there. Restriction, right? It was restricted. restricted. Registered. 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 Oh, Registered. Damn. Shows on the now. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this podcast. Where <laughs> you're going to educate us all this time. You know, movies have led me astray. Right. Uh, the last uh, and, one, and the courtrooms in okay. movies yeah. never look like the courtrooms in real life. Uh, <laughs> it's more boring. Like other people in them, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you see line. some of these and I'm like, that's never been a courtroom I've ever entered. It's always. <laughs> like really nice appellate courts that they make look like a trial court but yeah. i mean if anyone's ever served jury duty they would know that too you walk in there and you're like wait this this looks nothing like on suits or um, i've always imagined night court myself i don't know if that, <laughs> that dates me or might, but that's kind of like what i you know um last question is pretty quick and probably silly but i have heard this one a couple of times if you take a contract and you rip it up like they do on television in the movies contract for it, it doesn't it doesn't exist anymore how about that one? 
Legally, no. You still have a contract whether you ripped the paper or not. But I guess in a very rare situation in which that was the only copy and there was no other copies and it's a situation where it's now your word versus mine, mm-hmm. you create a very big problem of having to prove that there was a contract yeah. and what the terms of that contract were. It doesn't mean that just ripping it up, you know, cancels it or terminates it. Yeah, yeah. But... Uh, but it betters my chances. So it's 50, yeah. 50. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to rip everything. In that really, really small, very unlikely situation, maybe you've, you've got some sort of non-legal ground to hide behind. I'd say that strategy was probably way more effective, like 80s, 90s. Yeah. <laughs> Could you guys believe I'm going to take a, a picture of that that yeah. agreement and put it on my phone or I'm scanning it and loading it into the cloud so you can right. rip it up all you want. I'll just print out another copy. Right, right, right. Yep. Well, there you go. Television pop culture myths about contractual agreements debunked <laughs> in the first five minutes. This is yeah. we're off to a great start. <laughs> So one of the things that, you know, obviously uh, any developers or developers in general, when they start forming a business, like what, what are the, uh, what would, would be the most advisable steps to get going and what, what are at least the bare, uh, the basic foundation of having a company functioning with a game that I'm working on? Like what, what would you recommend to do it right? Um, so to add to your layer of, of questions that are missed that can be debunked and answer the question at the same time, uh, a lot of people think that just creating a company is as simple as calling themselves a, a company name. And that's just not true. Uh-huh. Uh, you have to register a either an LLC or a corporation in your state or depending upon certain factors, like if you're seeking investments, um, you would could register in a state like Delaware. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. my advice for everyone out there is if you are just doing this as a hobby and it's just you and your friends and you don't forever see this turning into a legitimate business, don't go out of your way to, you know, register a business in your state and pay taxes and I mean, pay your taxes, but don't pay your, you know, yeah, right. the taxes and fees for setting up a company. If, it just doesn't make sense for you. Um, if you're planning on taking this business serious and you see it as a business or you're, you started as a hobbyist and now you're thinking, Hey, you know, I've made a couple good games. They, you know, they're free and people really like them. Maybe I want to turn this into a business. Um, the, the most simple way to do that would be to register a limited liability company an LLC mm-hmm. in your local state. Mm-hmm. Um, Double check with your state's laws because every state for registering companies are different. The fees in some states like California are significantly higher than a place like Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, my caveat to all the people in California, California is a very consumer protective state. So if you know your office is in California, you don't plan on leaving California and you want to roll the dice on California, register your business in California. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't advise it. Well, hey, but in the can of worms now we got to dig. So what's uh, I guess, you know, Brandon and I are going to start a game company and we're thinking about starting it in California. We're a small company, no employees yet. Just him and I as the founders. I mean, I guess what kind of adversities are we going to avoid by saying that we actually started in Arizona or Texas, mm-hmm. somewhere on the outskirts, Nevada. Um, so let's say you, you choose Nevada, uh, okay. closest state near you, one of them. Um, and it's great because Nevada also doesn't have state income tax. So mm-hmm. yay, good things there. Um, what you would do is you would set up the company Nevada because Nevada would say have better corporate laws than California. Mm-hmm. And you would then file with the state of California, something called a doing business in, and you're registering the company saying, we're not a, we're a Nevada corporation, mm-hmm. but we have our headquarters, our offices here in California. So to the state we're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes down to tax purposes and location and what laws, state laws are going to govern you, Nevada would be your place. That sounds like some Donald Trump loophole shit right there. Well, it's it's also why um, companies that are seeking investors, uh, not every 
time, but the vast majority of the time, an investor will come in and say, okay, you're a California LLC or a Florida LLC or Nevada. You know, I'll only give you this $200,000 if you convert into a Delaware C Corp because Mm -hmm. Delaware is very friendly corporate laws. Uh, It's very investor friendly, very corporate friendly. And a lot of those times an investor will only give you that investment if you convert. Um, so is that something that you would wait for? Let's say I'm a regular LLC and we go through the Delaware thing. We set something up um, and then we start looking for investments. And when, when is it too late to, is it never too late to, to finally convert to a C Corp to get the investments? And make uh, it no, it's never too late. And, you know, the caveat with it is that not every investor might require it. You might find mm-hmm. some of the, early entry stages that might say, you know, let me get a membership stake in an LLC, Mm -hmm. then shares in a C-Corp. You can always convert your LLC to a C-Corp once without penalty, but you can't go back. Um, Another kind of way of looking at it is start with one thing. So start with your LLC, especially if you don't foresee yourself needing investment. If you think that, you know, you're a small studio, two, three, four, even 10 people, and all of you are taking a revenue share and you're putting in your own money and you have the funds to keep it going, Mm. you know, don't, don't give up control of your company just for money, just because you need it. Find a way. Uh, And then if you have to, or you have someone who's coming in saying, Hey, here's a ton of money for you to finish this game or build this game. uh, They might put a caveat saying you have to convert to a Delaware company. I see. Well, I I'd like to actually ask on behalf of the little guy, because this is advice even I originally got. And I followed when I set up uh, my first game school or game school. Uh, What was it? Go play games like an iPhone game development company. Oh, man, Mm -hmm. getting old, man. (laughs) Decades, it feels like. Anyway, uh, I was told, you know, start as a DBA, you know, get your bank account, get a a way that people can pay you under the company name and not writing you personal checks. But at the same time, you don't really have any assets that are at risk. It's just you making little iPhone games and you're contracting out stuff to 1099 employees. Um, or subcontractors, I think. Then when it's like, oh, hey, like now we're actually doing real business where someone wants to pay us to make games, now convert to an LLC so that you can protect what you've built. But while you're like actually trying to build something, the suggestion was DBA so I don't have to worry about the taxes and then convert to LLC later. Uh, how foolish was that method <laughs> is, the, is the question. It's not necessarily foolish, especially if you're doing it by yourself. I wouldn't have advised that. Um, my advice is always, if you're looking to do this as a business, get an LLC, at least an LLC, um, basically, cause you want to limit your personal liability. Yeah. Uh, let's say you were contracting with somebody and that contract fell through Well, they're suing you personally, yeah. uh, and you're personally on the hook for those funds. But if you set up your company, you follow proper corporate formation and corporate formalities, um, and similar situation, well, they can't sue you personally. They're suing your company. And if your company has no assets, great. You got a judgment against a company that's not worth anything. Hey. And thereby you get to go home. You know, you no one's touching fight. your, yeah, no one's touching yeah. your house. Yeah. No one's coming to break in to steal the refrigerator. You know, you're good to go. Um, and it's basically taking yourself out of it. Okay. Uh, as taxes, I'm not a tax expert, but you're going to get taxed the same way being in an LLC as you would being in a DBA because an LLC is a pass-through tax structure. So you're going to report your profits and your losses on your income tax. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then let's, let's kick it up a notch. This was probably on your bar exam. Uh, (laughs) So I have an LLC, right? Where let's call it the umbrella company, the holding company or the main Mm -hmm. company that dabbles in like different types of businesses. Like, like, I don't know, like bad boy records, whatever. They also have film they also have like books then they also have like sean john or whatever whatever Mm -hmm. uh now let's say i'm not p diddy though i don't have his millions and millions and i'm a guy who just has like a small company that wants to dabble in a couple of different things Mm -hmm. is it okay to do an llc for like the main thing and then dba the subsidiaries or would you suggest llc everything as its own each individual thing and just pay all the tax for everything well you can have one llc that has you know 
divisions in it. You can have the yeah. film division, the game division and whatnot without having to create a separate entity for each one of those. Okay. You could also do a DBA and, and it's your company doing business as another name for film games or et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. You wouldn't have to create separate entities for each one. Okay. So even when there's like tremendous growth in one of the branches, you would still advise to continue that way? Is there well, ever that that depends on what your ultimate goal is? If you want to say spin that off and into its separate entity, so let's say your your game division is taking off and you have film and music kind of lagging behind a little bit. Right. Uh, and at the same time, someone's coming and says, Hey, you know, I'll give you some money to get in on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, it would probably be advisable to spin that off into another an LLC or make that the parent corp mm-hmm. and keep your initial LLC, create a new corporation and make that LLC a subsidiary of that corporation. Right. So what kind of protection do you have if you're doing a DBA? Is that name trademarked under there as a division and stuff like that? Do you still get the same type of protection as a its individual thing? No. So no. Uh, just doing a DBA is just meaning, hi, me, Brandon, I am doing business under this name. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I have a business bank account, it's because I have an EIN that I use my own personal social security number to set up. And there's no other entity in between me and you, just a name. Yeah. Um, the LLC would be sort of that in between. So there is something that protects you and your personal assets. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. as for trademarks, you to get it, just registering a company name doesn't give you a trademark for that company. Right, 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 right. You need to go to the USPTO or hire an attorney and have us register your trademark. Well, is that something that you guys do as well? Yes. Uh, In fact, I would say a good portion of my day is is handling uh, (laughs) trademarks and and copyrights and other intellectual property. Uh, Another quick question off the back of that one. So what's like the cost? Like if, all right, you you exposed us, we need to trademark some of our our stuff. Um, So we we have, for some of our services, we, we try to stay flat, right? Because we know that there are firms out there that charge really high hourly rates for things that, you know, you just don't need to, they just don't take that much time to do. Um, so trademarks, we have three different packages. Um, the price kind of varies a little bit between them, but there's basically a basic package where for a low rate, we're going to just register your trademark. We're not going to really conduct anything more than what we call a direct hit search. So we're going to take the name you want, throw it into a database and see what comes up. Um, Then we have that same package that includes a search. So we go out and we search the entire state and federal database for that exact trademark and anything that would come up that's similar. Um, Something that could flag you, um, you know, if you're game dev unchained and then I'm game dev chained up and I already registered my trademark, something like that would appear in the search and I would flag it and send it to you saying, hey, this is going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case, you would just pay us for the search. We'd give you the money back for registering the mark because, you know, you're not going to do that. Yeah. Or at least we would advise you not to do it. If you want to throw money away, we'll gladly take it from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then our last package is the search. It's the registration, but we cover things like uh, office actions. So mm-hmm. occasionally we'll write out a description submit a specimen, which is basically showing you using the trademark and an examiner might say, you know, I like your description, but I think this is a better way of doing it. And then they'll issue an office action, which requires a response. Uh, and we respond to those things for you for free included in that, that advanced package. Oh yeah. Well, how much is the advanced package? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, the advanced package starts, it's 500 bucks for legal fees. And then every package has a $225 to $275, depending on the trademark class. Class, mm-hmm. registration fee that goes directly to the USPTO that doesn't mm-hmm. come to us at all and it's per class so uh, a lot of the times video games are registered in two classes depending upon if it's just a computer game or if it's a computer game and then console okay so if you had one product SKU you know you're looking at what is that 775 yeah especially if this is your first trademark for for this brand that you're building that's what we would recommend um and again if we do the search and it turns out that there's something too similar that we are registering as a red flag that this will prevent your your application from being registered uh we give you all the money back except for the hundred bucks that it took us to do the search oh sweet that's a pretty good deal man i I don't have other prices to compare it to but like yeah like i'd pay 700 bucks to have the like all right I've, i'm safe they're gonna handle all the stuff that i can't do or don't know how to do they're gonna handle the inconvenient office stuff if they are like yep, office action 
and yeah. I get to just say yes, I have the trademark or no. I to me that'd be worth seven hundred. And we we make sure that everyone's completely you know involved as much as they can every step of the way. Uh, we're going to explain everything and when we get these office actions in. We're going to tell you what it's for, what it means. Um, the only time there's an extra fee with those is if we get. Um, you know, I call them advanced office actions, but they're just they require additional legal research. So if uh, they reject your application for what they call a likelihood of confusion, um, you know, if we did the search and nothing came up, then it's going to raise a lot of questions like why, you know, why were we tagged for this? Yeah. Um, and like then it McDowell's. just I can never own McDowell's. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, you know, we, we'd have to file. It's, it's normally eight or nine pages of a written draft explaining to the examiner, hey, we disagree with you. Here's the legal backing that supports why we disagree with you and you need to reverse this. Um, so those are we charge an hourly rate. Our hourly rates for all of our attorneys is two fifty an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus those normally take Christ. between three fifty <laughs> three to five hours to, to write <laughs> between the, the drafting and the research. Uh, so you got any like bar prep books that you're not using anymore that you can <laughs> oh man it's been uh seven years eight years since the bar so i'm yeah. sure i could find them somewhere in my house jesus well congrats man this all sounds really good yeah like if you can like illustrate the most common things that you do see when uh developers come to you and it's like why did you do this you should have done this like what what's the most common thing that you usually see with these uh clients uh okay so two two come to mind immediately the first is not putting in proper contracts from day one Hmm. um a lot of the times it's two friends uh who are working together and they wanted to form say a partnership and they're arguing with each other about certain things that a contract day one would have been set in stone and then if there's ever any bickering you guys go back to what your agreement says and it's there you agree to it the time nothing changes Hmm. um and then you put it behind you, you know, people can be the best of friends, but when there's money and other things involved then it's, well, we're friends, but this is business. Well, then if it's business, treat it like a business and, and do that up front. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is not protecting their brand when they should be. Um, and that kind of caveats into making sure that you're not using other people's stuff without permission. Mm-hmm. And that would be one of the biggest is if you saw it on Reddit, if you've, you know, someone put it up on a random message board, you know, think to yourself, well, this is some really good stuff that he put up here. Some really cool sprites or some awesome images or animations. Where did this come from? And if they're not willing to say, sign a quick assignment to you or give you a non-exclusive license, uh, you should be wondering, do you really have the rights to use this? And if you mm-hmm. should be using it in a game that you're about to release for, for sale. Mm-hmm. Jesus, that's, I think that would be one of my big concerns these days, right? Like I can go on, what is, was it? What's that website? Jesus, where all people post their concept art. It's the new one. Uh, art station. Art station. Thank you. Mm. I've been on art station and seen art station people steal from other art station people and then post it on art station. Like literally the ecosystem of stealing happens on the same website. Oh yeah. It happens like that all the time. So like, I would worry if I was working with anybody who was producing stuff for my game and be like, yeah, I pay them to make this. And they're like, here you go. These are your concept art. Go ahead and build it. I invest all this time and money into turning that artwork into 3d putting it in my game. Come to find out somebody in Singapore found out that like I ripped them off and they're mad at me now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, we have things in contracts that would protect you and okay. give you a recourse against that contractor um, who did this for you. Now, if this is just somebody you saw like on Fiverr, mm-hmm. do they have any money if you sue them? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we have a saying in the legal world you can't get blood from a stone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you can get, uh, never uh, uh, let me, I'm going to let that one go. I was insult my mother's parenting methods back in the day. <laughs> uh, well, I'm actually really intrigued to keep asking more questions because uh, I started one business in my life that like really went to like, like I could have been at risk if something went wrong because we were contracted out to do game development for companies like the Boy Scouts and uh, like Aero GP racing. It was a pretty cool time. 
But I also was like, yo, like if something goes wrong, I'm the only person who has to give up anything or who would potentially go to jail. Like I was super exposed back in the day. And I'm assuming there's probably a lot of people who today would probably be in a similar position where they don't know a lot about law or business or how to set things up, doing taxes, yada, yada. A lot of people just think go to LegalZoom.com and they just handle it for me. You know what I mean? Is there maybe like a pitch that you could give to like a potential entrepreneur for their first time as to like, look, no, you really do need a lawyer on your side. Here's what we offer. Here's what we help. Cause yeah. I just thought like, as long as nothing bad happens, I'm good. You know what I mean? So. Uh, I, I have a lot of clients who are now clients because of that exact line of thinking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, You know, look, I, I never thought to do this because it was no. never a problem. And yeah. it's like, okay, well now it's a problem and now it's going to cost you a whole lot more to fix. Um, so the the biggest pitch is that lawyers, while we're great to solve problems, we're also fantastic to prevent problems. Mm. Um, and people need to be thinking of their attorney more, not just the person I call when I'm in trouble, but how to keep myself out of trouble from day one. Um, doing prevention goes a long way. And a lot of that is getting the right set of contracts that you can use when you're in certain situations. It's registering and protecting your brands. It's not doing things like stealing other people's artwork or uh, when you contract with independent contractors to create things for you, that all the rights are being transferred to you. It's, it's basically, it's tying up all your loose ends and your attorney you know, we've seen it all. We've experienced everything that you could think of when it comes to issues that you're going to face. Um, ask us questions. We don't bite. Uh, you know, why we can be expensive. It's for a reason. It's it's making sure you're protected. <laughs> OK, guys, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Hey, guys. Normally, we have a commercial to run at the start of the podcast, but we're actually going to just jump in with some really cool news about what's going on at Quixel these days. Uh, Brandon is probably the best deliverer of the news, so I'm going to pass the mic to him. But we got some really cool stuff to tell you about what Quixel is doing as a gift to everybody who hasn't used their stuff yet. Brandon, why don't you tell the good people what I'm talking about? The folks at Quixel are always thinking about the people. They are by the people for the people. And so this year, they're starting it off with having Quixel Mixer for free, completely free for one year. It's not even a GDU tie-in sponsor. It's just their own thing. And we just want to shout out to those guys over there doing a great job promoting great dev tools. So all the time you heard us bragging about Quixel tools, now you can go and just check it out for free and know that we weren't bullcrapping you guys. Like it's definitely worth getting into. So, Yes. So if you are... Not busy, go to megascans.se, download the Quixel Mixer for free. All they ask is for an email. They have also dropped 50 more free assets in their Megascans library for you to try out. So if you don't want to spend any money, you want to start using the mixture program and start mixing textures, go ahead and download those. And if you like those and have finally decided to make the leap and get access to their full photogrammetry texture and assets. Use our code GDU first three months for 30% off. Yeah. Do that in that exact order. And you're going to be a very happy game developer. Yeah. I personally challenge you guys to do what I did, which was just make something small and just see if you like the tool set. And you'll actually find it's surprisingly simple to get into. Uh, I'm the designer and I have fun using their stuff. So, you know, just give it a shot, see how you like it. And I promise you, you'll probably want to stick around. What about legalese? Uh, this is another one of those silly questions, but you know, like co- layman's common man, common woman picks up contract and they're reading these terms or these agreements. And it just seems like it's secret code for lawyer A and lawyer B You know, what I mean? to then go into yep. a room and tell you what the contract actually meant, even though you're reading plain English, you know what I mean? I guess what stops somebody from doing like a, a plain English agreement? Like, Hey, if you give me $500,000, I will make you, uh, you have ownership of the IP. You'll have all the rights to merchandise. You'll have all the rights to whatever, whatever. Do you agree? Yes, no sign. Does that count as a contract as well? Or Sure. Uh, as long as you exchange consideration. So all you need for a valid contract is you need an offer, you need acceptance, and you need consideration. Okay. So you could do something really, really plain language, incredibly simple, Um and as long as there's something exchanged for consideration and the other side accepted that, 
you got a contract. I mean, you could write a contract down on a napkin at a restaurant um, and, and it'd be fine. The reason why a contract written by an attorney is full of legalese or it's, you know, 36 pages to say two things is because there's other things that that napkin on the diner table is not considering um like things if like you die what, or if you die or yeah, exactly. if you if you want to sue me where what state are you suing me under and what laws are going to be filed and mm-hmm. things like protecting your rights and when am i going to pay you how long after you're completed do i have to not pay you if i'm not satisfied with the work mm-hmm. um things like that but i mean you could do something just as basic as you know i'm paying you to paint my house brown and you're going to complete it on thursday this date and mm-hmm. I'm signing here and you sign there and I pay you the money. We've got a contract. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. As long as it doesn't get ripped up. Snap a picture of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what got you into law, man? You know, if, were there any other interests that you had or was this like a, you know what? I saw my cousin Vinny and like ever since then, I just knew, you know, how, how did you, how did you fall into the, into the role? So I was always pretty active in the entertainment industry. Uh, I ran a 501 nonprofit organization called the Rockstar Stories, where we uh, would go out. We ran our own TV production at a time where uh, young kids and teenagers were, weren't doing that. It, there was no YouTube back then. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was exposed to contracts and intellectual property and entertainment law really early. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you know, I really, I really like this. I really find this interesting. Uh, then when I went to college, I went for film and new media with a minor in commercial music. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I got out of film school, I looked around South Florida and I said, hmm, you know, if I either move into New York or I'm moving to California or I got to figure out something to do with my life because working for a hundred dollars a day as you know, in the film industry in, in Miami mm-hmm. is just not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. Uh, So I decided to go to law school. And while I was in school, I'd study a lot of intellectual property and entertainment law and I came out and I was a trial attorney for four years. And um, from there, I evolved into doing a lot of transactional and entertainment work. Mm -hmm. And when I was working through different firms, I was uh, working with new influencers and YouTubers and a lot of different people in the entertainment space and a handful of game developers. Mm -hmm. And my passion growing up has always been for video games. Uh, I'm an active gamer. Uh, as you can tell from my bright light up (laughs) set. Um, And I was like, you know, this is an industry I know uh, from a consumer side. It's an area of law I know from a legal side. Uh, Let's see if I can put these two together and form a business. And I left my firm, took the few clients I had from there with me and started Press Start Legal. And everything's just been going up. Nice. I have to give you credit, man, because for anyone to have spent any time in Miami and be focused on school and education, (laughs) 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 you're you're quite an individual. (laughs) Ah, thank you very much. Uh, (laughs) It was film school. (laughs) (laughs) But but law school was is I I can sum up law school in this way. I'd rather do all four years of college again, then one year of law school. Ooh. Oh, wow. And law school, two years, three years, three years. And then you have about four months to study for the biggest test of your life. Now, I, actually, here's a rumor. I was always told that if you just take the bar and pass it, you can get your, you know, your, you could be a lawyer. You so there is a myth and I have two friends in California who've confirmed this. And I don't know if this has changed since then. That is only true in California. Oh. And it's because the California state bar is so impossible that they figured if you can come in here and pass this, you know, have at it. Uh, mm. Every other state that I know of requires at least a law degree before you can take the state bar. Jesus. And California has a ton of entertainment lawyers. So yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming that's get it somewhere else and come here. Yeah. No, no, you still yeah. have to still have to take it. There's some states that have what's called like reciprocity. So gotcha. if you pass the bar in one state, it, it gives you access to a few others. Florida doesn't have that with anybody. Gotcha. Uh, California and New York are also those that just like, nope, you, you want to work here. You want to practice law here. Come on in. Uh, the good thing about this area of law and this industry and, and, 
the whole interactive entertainment industry as a whole is that a lot of this is based on federal law. So the fact that I'm in Florida, I can still take a client from California or Massachusetts or Texas or, you know, anywhere, as long as we're not dealing in your state specific area of law, which most of the time is, is never. Awesome. Um, I mean, I don't know if I can even ask this question, but do you have any like famous clients? Cause I would imagine being in that location, you probably rub elbows with who knows. Um, I have, I have some famous clients. Uh, I can't tell you who they are cause they're all under confidentiality, but, um, a lot of them actually aren't from this area. We, we represent a few, I mean, YouTube famous. They're famous. Okay. You know, they, they have a couple million subscribers. So I'd say that's famous. A couple million. That's hell. Yeah. That's famous. (laughs) Jesus. That's so like subscribers as we have. (laughs) (laughs) So with uh, the, within the game industry alone, right? There's a lot of different things you can do within it, obviously. Mm -hmm. So the YouTube streamers, you got the uh, pro gamers, you got the game developers starting companies, you got investment deals. What, what, What would you say the one or two key differences that each group would deal with? Uh, differently uh, talking about uh, if I'm a YouTuber, you know, these are things that you should really think about versus a guy uh, starting a game company. These are the things, or is it really all the same ish? Um, they all have similar issues in, in the same fields. I would say that some things are a little bit more important in different areas of this industry than others. So um, for a YouTuber, their brand, their trademarks, their copyrights on their videos, the content they create is, I would say, the top of that list of most important. Um, I would also consider that most YouTubers and streamers, for that matter as well, don't think about starting a company and running their stream or their channel through that company. Some of the biggest players in that industry or area of that industry do. Um, for example, for big for tech is Linus Tech Tips. He owns Linus Media. Hey, Linus. So he uh, um, is an example of someone who's huge on YouTube and started a company out of it. So that's something that we've seen a lot uh, for gaming. It's a lot of contracts. Also, intellectual property is huge there, too. But then there's other aspects. So privacy law is the new hotbed uh, right now with in Europe with the GDPR, with the California Consumer Right of Privacy that just passed. You're going to have more and more states jumping on this extraordinarily strict level of privacy. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see like a federal government GDPR style law being passed in the next year or so. Mm, so that's so something obviously i understand what that is but can you explain mm-hmm. to larry what you're talking about okay. <laughs> so, so right now in europe there is a law that was passed that the entire eu and in, including member states like the uk have ratified that place significant restrictions on how companies collect and use and sell consumer data so there are things like downloading a basic privacy policy is not going to protect you um you have to disclose in detail you know what type of data you collect what you plan on doing it if you're selling it who are you selling it to and for what purpose uh some states including some parts in the eu require you to have to opt in to these sorts of things um, and then there's restrictions on once that data is collected, at least in the United States, we have breach notification law. So if your servers got breached, if your databases were leaked, if, excuse me, if emails of your customers get put out on the internet, you have to report to all the different states. Um, these are the number of people that may be affected. Here's the measures that we had in place to prevent this. And this is how this breach occurred. Um, So that's why privacy is a huge thing that used to not be on the forefront and now is really starting to creep its way up. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for social media influencers uh, and that market, the biggest things are contracts, branding, of course. And then you need to worry about the consumer activision, activision, the consumer activists and consumer protection laws that come out uh, that 
the FTC oversees. So you're seeing things like deceitful advertising. And uh, I don't know if any of you guys have seen it, the Fire Festival uh, yeah. documentaries on Netflix I've, and Hulu. I've seen one of the two. I saw the Netflix one. So now all those models that were in the documentary that promoted the festival are being brought into this massive class action lawsuit and are being investigated for deceptive advertising um, because that video that they all appeared in and all that promotion wasn't disclosed to the average consumer that this was a paid advertisement. Right. Um, the biggest case that sprung all this uh, was, if you recall, Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Gaming was hit with a massive fine by the FTC because they were paying game review YouTubers to say positive things about um, right. Leave a Shadow of Mordor. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, and it wasn't disclosed. And this is where the term under the fold came up in in the front youtube page and it wasn't unless someone clicked this see more and scrolled all the way to the bottom was it ever disclosed that hey this is really a paid advertisement for this game because we were paid to do this right. uh, so now that industry's really got a big spotlight on it because mm-hmm. it's about not being deceptive it's having all this disclosure mm-hmm. wow <laughs> well i uh I want to shift gears a little bit. I know we've been asking you a lot of law questions and I don't have a joke for this lead in, but I'm the game designer out of the two of us. And I have this game that I like to play with all the guests. It's called the fast five. Okay. I'm going to ask you five rapid fire questions. And all I need from you are five rapid fire answers. We're going to try to go for one of the top scores. Okay. So I'm ready. Let me know when you're ready and I'll hit you with these five questions. I'm, I'm a little afraid, but let's, let's, let's do this. Let's do All right. These are super, super, super personal questions. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. How do I get scored on super personal no, questions? It's, it's Is all there a right speed. answer? It's all about speed. It's okay. About speed. <laughs> ready? Question number one. What's your favorite childhood video game? Oh God. Uh, first Mortal Kombat. Okay. Question number two. Have you ever walked out of a movie? Yes. Question number three. If you had to give up one of these senses, which one would it be? Touch or taste? Touch. Question number four. The game that's taken the most amount of time from your life. Uh, any Zelda game? Currently, Battlefield 5 is taking a, a good amount of my time. Ooh, Battlefield 5 with the amazing pat on the back right there. <laughs> Question number five. What makes or what game makes you swear the most? Battlefield Five. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I have to say that was an impressive time. Any of our listeners who have listened to all the Fast Fives, you're probably start, top four. Start ranking. <laughs> I'd, I'd say that's a top four time. Uh, yeah, uh, nice. it's. Uh, I just remember when I used to play Battlefield 1942 when mm. that first came out. That I was like, hey, I'm I'm pretty good at this now. Mm. God, yeah. I I turned the corner and I'm instantly headshot <laughs> yeah. in the face. Man, how is Battlefield 5? I haven't played that yet. And this is not a paid YouTube <laughs> advertisement. This is it's, oh, we welcome it. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. You know, EA gets a ton of flack and, mm-hmm. and rightfully so for a lot of their business practices. But I'm a fan of that Origin Access premiere that they do. Again, not a paid endorsement. Mm-hmm. But I think that the concept, like I have game ADD. Mm-hmm. Not afraid to admit that I'm always jumping around because I, I always like to play different things and I always love playing my clients' games. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thought of paying $14.95 a month, or I think it's like $100 a year or something, and you have mm-hmm. access to their full library, uh, that's that's awesome. You're the third person this week that has told me about this without uh, me prompting it. So. Uh, it's starting to think uh, really catch on with everybody. Yeah. I completely stumbled on it because I, I was figuring out if anthem was a part of it because i was like you know mm-hmm. to try the game out for 14 bucks why not yeah why not I'll have a loading screen for- <laughs> here's a ui graphic for four hours <laughs> why not cold-blooded <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's after you spend $20 for your new black and gold skin, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, well, this is date-sensitive material. I'm just going to go ahead and say Anthem actually hasn't come out yet when we recorded right. this podcast, just in case someone from the future is, like, listening to this. <laughs> yeah, to like, oh, screw these guys. This, that was yeah. the best game ever that came out. <laughs> I'm sure they're going to have future EA launch problems. <laughs> oh, I mean, who doesn't? They'll understand. Uh, All that yeah. I is I'm happy that gamers are fighting back against predatory microtransaction 
right. uh, practices. So the more uprising and revolt that I see in that area, I think the better, honestly. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, I'm very interested. Sorry to go off tangent. We'll, we'll circle it back. But I'm very interested in what this will lead because a lot of developers, you know, it's a crowded market. But if they really take off with this Netflix style of gaming and have everyone fairly compensated, it might be a way to finally introduce thousands of games and yeah. not be crowded up and and be annoyed with it and well, have to choose. You know what I mean? I completely agree. Um, now I wish I could pay a hundred bucks a year and play every game on steam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you might have to, if everyone's leaving. So. <laughs> um, but on the subject of microtransactions, I think there's going to be a big shift in the industry soon. Uh, and a lot sooner than later, um, to, if you see something you like, you buy it. Yeah. Right. It, you saw it with league of legends, you want this skin this is how much it costs yeah you see it with Fortnite right now there's no loot boxes it's oh you want the dancing shark when it comes up on the store great it's 10 bucks buy it and i think that making these sort of things not game based and is just purely cosmetic uh i have no problem with that because i know that i'm not going to spend 15 dollars on the dancing shark i'm totally content with the free skin that everyone else has because i'm just here to shoot somebody in the face because it's a video game I don't care how I look when I do it. <laughs> no matter how cool they are, because some of them are really cool, but yeah. you ain't going to get me to pay $25 to look like a spaceman. Right. Yeah, I'm a little partial because I definitely am in the camp of like, if I do want something and I like it enough and I like the game enough that I feel like it's going to be a valuable investment to my happiness, like I would do it. Like in Heroes of the Storm, I have all the heroes, but I earn them. But every now and then I like will just actually pay shards to buy something that I want explicitly. Mm-hmm. Why not? Uh, I don't mind doing that, right? Yeah, no, but there's, I also there's no problem doing it to download that game. And so, me understanding the math of like, hey, it cost Blizzard to make this game. I paid zero dollars to actually get into it. I don't mind if I'm spending like over the course of my career, I might spend like a hundred, two hundred dollars on that game and be like, eh, it was worth it because each time I'm presented with a small price, mm-hmm. like I've never had the premium barrier of entry of $60 and then the $20 suit. And then the, you know, I think that's where really it starts to fall off on the public consumers kind of interest mm-hmm. levels is like, Hey, you're charging me 60 bucks for the game. And I bought this like annual pass or battle pass. And now I have to buy the red dot site for two bucks or, you know what I mean? Like whatever yeah. oh, yeah. over there, it's like, Oh, and then you throw in a, a loot box and it goes, Oh, and you have to pay $2 for a 3% yeah. chance to get the red dot site. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's caused a lot of places in the EU to, to rebel, uh, especially against loot boxes and uh, a big a story that came okay. out two days ago. Well, I guess two days because right that now it's, right? yep, exactly. Yeah. It was yeah. EA just, uh, surrendered to belgium the belgian government said no you know you you cannot force people to buy these loot boxes for an opportunity to get something um because you're enticing people who don't understand that for 14.99 with all these worth of points that you're getting a one to two percent chance at that Mm -hmm. item that you're showing off in its shiny glory Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's 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 what was exactly what I was going to ask. It's like the gambling aspect of that being like a, a, a lawful issue, right? So, yeah. is are we tightening on up on that with EA uh, kind of surrendering to to the, the conditions and stuff and acknowledging that being a problem in the United States? Yes and no. I think um, I think the outside pressure from these other countries are going to force companies to change their tactics the united states there are constant numbers of different bills that have been presented that have been rejected um by all the different lobbyists lobbying you know different politics to try and push these bills out um that really tried to tag loot boxes as gambling and I think going that route is is not correct. Is it gambling? I mean, yes, in a sense, sure. You're paying money for a chance to get an item. Um, gambling, you're paying money for a chance to make more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you can sit here and say that that loot boxes are gambling in their traditional sense of gambling. But mm-hmm. I do think that they 
do prey on the younger audience that doesn't understand the value of a dollar that was given their parents' credit card to play this game. And they did not know that at the end of the month, they were going to get $300 in charges because the kid was enticed to buy loot boxes because they kept showing it as, you know, the lights and the sounds and, and the chance of winning. I mean, that's why slot machines are so exciting when you win, even if it's 10 cents, it keeps you hooked. And so you're hooking them and addicting them early. And I think those predatory practices are uh, very non-consumer friendly. And I think we'll see a pushback in the consumer protection laws versus Mm -hmm. calling them gambling and try to phase them out that way. Right. It was all good just a week ago. You know, like there was a time where you bought the game, you owned the game. Right. There was a time you could buy the game and return the game. Oh, man. You can still do some of that on Steam, right? Like if you do it in two hours, (laughs) you can... If you can beat Zelda in two hours, you can get it for free. I I have memories of buying something and trying to install it on a computer mm-hmm. and not having it work and taking it back to GameStop and being like, here. Yep. All right. Things back then it was EB Games. Here you go. Like, EB give me my Games. money back. Here's one for you. Do you remember or ever went to Babbage's or like Funko Land or? Uh, we had Funko Land out here. Never heard of Babbage's. Babbage's. So maybe that's an East Coast thing. All my East Coasters, Babbage's. You guys remember. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. So uh, I I want to spend the last uh, 10 minutes basically talking about the the scariest type of contracts. Like you have your game, you're pitching, you got people interested. And it's so enticing. They're like, here's a little money, but these are the things that we want you to do in return. (laughs) So, of course, being a person that's like, well, if you're giving us some money, we'll do anything, right? That's, I feel like, is the stance that most indie developers would take what what is your advice on that while while that's happening now are we talking investments are we talking publisher or are we just talking any well, sort of predatory a little bit of each okay you have the time okay just yeah no, absolutely so the the rule of thumb i have with when i talk to my clients is if you can do this without someone else's money do it. As soon as you take someone else's money and you sell a percentage of your company, you're never going to get that back. Um, and you're losing that much control. So let's say you've been able to do this. You and your friends together have a 33% split three ways. And then you have somebody coming in from the outside who goes, okay, that's cool. How about I come in and give you guys a hundred thousand dollars and I want, you know, 33%. So I'm diluting all your shares. Yeah. You just lost a ton of control for what? For money. Um, and where I understand that sometimes you need that money, it's if you can find a small business loan to float you by until you're finished, if you can do crowdsourcing, if you can find another way, especially if you don't need a publisher. Uh, and in this day and age, I would say more and more indie devs are going that route. Um, don't take the money. Don't sign the deal. Find another way. Um if the deal's too good to be true, you know, everyone's got, I don't, I mean, I don't want to sound awful by saying this. Everyone's got a price. Uh, it's got a price. Everyone's got a price. <laughs> I'm not telling you to turn down that $10 million. That's your potential never make again in your entire life. Just because I'm telling you to find another way. Listen, if you need the money, take the money. Mm-hmm. I probably would take it too, but um, just know what comes with that. And that also comes with the publisher. Know what comes with accepting Money from a publisher, it's either it's always going to be predatory terms. They're always going to come out on top. Uh, no matter what we as attorneys can do, it's going to come down to business terms that a publisher will not be willing to negotiate because they're giving you something. They're giving you money to finish the game. They're giving you money for marketing. They're bringing their name recognition to your game to sell it. So if you think you're going to go into a deal being like, I got this. Like, I'm going to make sure that we walk out of there. We're going to own the IP and we're going to make sure that we don't have to worry about milestones and we're going to complete this game on our terms. It's never going to happen. Um, when you're dealing with publishers, uh, they're going to set milestones. They're going to set deadlines. They're going to potentially take your IP. Uh, there was a recent story that came out that there was a British developer uh, who signed a deal with what they thought was a reputable publisher. And that publisher ended up stealing, stealing. Mm -hmm. allegedly the game um and 
the developer ended up having to file what's known as the Digital Millennium Copyright Takedown Act, uh, DMCA, and had to fight with Steam for four months to get control of their store page from the publisher. And, uh, you know, that's four months of payments because this publisher disappeared, packed up shop and left. Mm-hmm. They're never going to get back. And they had to shut the servers down. They had to shut off the store page while this whole transaction happened. So, um, you know, make sure if you're going to sign with the publisher that it's a reputable, do your research. Uh, don't go in there thinking you're going to come out positive or on top. It's never going to happen. Uh, and don't take money if you don't need it. Find another way. What bothers me is that there's literally people out there whose business model is rip off scam, you know, like cut and run. You know, like, yeah, we're going to take this $300 million from these people on Kotaku or from what is it? Kickstarter, GoFundMe. We're going to make this awesome game. Promises, promises. Hey, we're in Hawaii. Company shut down. Thank you very much. Yep. Oh, yeah. And you'll never get that money back if, if you're a consumer. But um, that's why with, with crowdfunding, you got to believe in, in what it is. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people believe in Star Citizen. Never, 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 never played it. They're still believing it. I, I hear it's going to be the greatest game in the world. But um, I, I've said this many times on the podcast. It's the best website I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> the counter is on point. Yep. Always going up. So they're doing something uh, right. Yeah. But I, I kickstart back the game many, many years ago called Stonehearth. By based off their trailer and when it got put on steam and the beta was out there it was a lot of fun it was like a two-man developer group so there's there's ways if you have a fun game people are going to want to play it and they're going to pay for it look at minecraft minecraft okay. blew up and it was just a you know a, an alpha really you know one, when 1.0 hit the game had already hit popularity beyond its wildest imaginations and then just took off from there and then he bought the house that Jay Z and Beyonce wanted to buy. Like that's right. That's that's, that's life goals right there. <laughs> well, that's a, I mean that's actually a like a classic friend contract because didn't Notch had like a like a friend that he just gave when uh like a regular salary when they got bought out or something. There was yeah. a yeah, there was something like that, right? Am yeah, I it was details? like one of his close friends and like there wasn't really like a set sort of employee employer relationship. And he was just like, all right, good. Well now we're owned by Microsoft. So here's some money. Some money for everybody. <laughs> That's awesome. He's, anyway yeah but it's a great example though it was a game that people wanted to play and, and uh, they didn't take any money until he wanted to to sell it mm-hmm. uh, well, everyone's got their price because i'm assuming now a lot of the people listening to this podcast are really interested in having you know you potentially represent them or just even contacting you for more so two quick questions is your firm even looking for more clients right now um and then two if so what's the best way to get in touch with you to try to uh, looking for more contacts. So we're always we're always looking for more clients. Um, you know we're we're deeply involved in the community. Um, so the best way to find us is come to our website. It's pressstartlegal.com or we also own pressstart.legal. Uh, you can also send me an email at zach at pressstartlegal.com and it's zach z a c. As I said that, I realized like I totally should have. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of leads into yeah, kind of leads into well I'll go ahead and do it now yeah the bag uh so Zach we've been podcasting for about an hour sir and uh more than Brandon I appreciate everything that you've done for us so just want to say thank you still 50 50 <laughs> thank you so much for being a part of this podcast so now Brandon and I are actually going to go refill our coffee mugs and you know talk crap about people that we know and we're going to let you have complete control over the soundboard you can talk directly to our audience to shout out promote raise awareness for something you're involved in you know give kudos to a teacher that kept you on your way back in the day or just you know, <laughs> advertise someone that you think needs a little more attention so without further ado sir the floor is yours Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, man, never, never had a floor all to myself like this. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Uh, so we already gave out the website. Make sure you guys, if you want to learn more about the firm, check out the website. Uh, you can always reach me by my email. Again, that's Zach, Z-A-C at pressstartlegal.com. Catch us the first and third Wednesday of every month. We try to do an Ask Me Anything on the game development subreddit. So that's r slash game dev. Um, 
we start normally 9 a.m. Eastern time. We go until about 6 p.m., 6.30. So you have a whole day of asking us questions. Uh, We try to keep it kind of keep the confidential stuff to the email address. But, I mean, we, we do our best to ask or answer the to the best of our ability in a in a in a reddit kind of format Uh, in february i I can't announce the exact date yet we're going to be hosting another ama but not just on the game dev we're going to be on the i guess it's the official twitch subreddit uh twitch tv subreddit so we just got approval for that and uh, we're going to be doing a lot of stuff with twitch and at least the twitch subreddit so we can kind of reach out to the streamer world Mm -hmm. as we find that of all of our clients they are the ones who have no idea what they're doing when it comes to the legal (laughs) side of the business and i love them i love working with creatives um but these are guys who are given a lot of money and no idea what to do with it and they don't read their contracts they don't protect their brands like they should um so don't worry we're we're coming we're coming to help all i can say is i'm happy to know you before the twitch ama AMA. well my coffee tastes real good tonight i'm learning this is brandon fam see you guys next week bye everybody So thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope that you're a subscriber, but if you aren't, please feel free to follow us on any of the major podcast platforms, especially iTunes or Spotify. You can find show notes and more resources available to help you become a successful game developer. Just go on over to our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. If you're interested in keeping the conversation going, then definitely come check us out in Discord where we chat in real time for After Show Tuesdays to discuss episodes and Feedback Fridays where we share screenshots on the projects that we're currently working on. If you go over to Patreon.com, you can support our podcast financially. And if you do so, you'll get access to Life Unchained, our on-the-pulse, unfiltered game dev gossip content that we make exclusively for our Patreon supporters. And as usual, you can keep in touch and follow our happenings on Facebook and Twitter. That's Game Dev Unchained, the podcast.